everybody, I'm Connie Bowman, and this is Happy Healthy You, the podcast. Something has changed within me. Something is not the same. Okay, I'm totally quoting the lyrics of Defying Gravity from the musical Wicked. Whatever, my daughter's been in the show for the last several months, and so it's on my mind a lot. But seriously, something has changed. I'm a little more chill. I'm a lot more compassionate and quite possibly happier as well. How did this change come about, you ask? Well, thanks for asking. I will tell you. I signed up for a 10-day meditation retreat, a silent meditation retreat. I know, crazy, right? Well, it was. And it wasn't. Let me take you back to the decision to sign up for this unusual summer vacation option. You might recall that I recently became a yoga teacher. Well, during the course, we studied a particular form of meditation called Vipassana or Vipassana. This is the meditation taught by the Buddha over 2,500 years ago. Now, Buddha was no slouch. He tried lots of different techniques in his search for the root cause of all suffering, and this is the one he found to be the most successful for total purification of the mind. And it ultimately helped him to attain enlightenment, so it worked for him. I just wanted to give it a shot. But 10 days? Whoa, that's a lot of time. Yeah, it is. And seems even more so on day one with 10 days stretched ahead of me. So let me just take you through the full 10 days just to give you an appreciation of the experience. Day one. We began noble silence the night before at 8 p.m., and then lights went out at 9 in preparation for an early gong alarm at 4 a.m. Seriously, someone woke us every morning to a gong. It was kind of charming for a few days. At 4 on day 1, we awoke and we prepared for our early morning meditation from 4.30 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. The night before, we had been assigned cushions in the meditation hall, and they were to be ours for the 10 days. As time progressed, many of the students added additional padding and pillows and seats with backs and even chairs as the reality of the long hours of meditating we were putting in became apparent. There were 15 of us at the start, all women, all ages, all races, all ethnicities. We stayed in dorm-like rooms. They were clean, but very basic. Mine had three beds. Apparently, ours was a small and unusually intimate group of meditators. Many of the 170 Vipassana centers around the world can accommodate lots more people, and they hold co-ed retreats, although men and women are kept separate for the bulk of the 10 days. Breakfast was at 6.30, and we look forward to it every single morning. We always had oatmeal with a variety of fruit, cereal, and yogurt for toppings. There was also toast. I became fond of the cinnamon raisin Ezekiel bread and enjoyed it with my oatmeal most mornings. More meditating after breakfast from 8 until 9 a.m., then a quick potty break, and then back to the mats again until 11 when we were served the main meal of the day, lunch. After lunch, we had time to walk around the grounds of the center, a nine-acre parcel that at one time was an orphanage run by the Catholic Church. We had rest time from 12 till 1, and then back to the grind, meditating, from 1 to 2.30. We were given the option of staying in our rooms to meditate or join the others in the hall at this time. We were all a little overzealous on that first day, and most of us stayed in the hall during these periods. That would change for me. 
We actually had three group meditations that were mandatory every single day, one from 8 to 9, one from 2.30 to 3.30, and then another from 6 to 7 p.m., with the final one following the discourse in the evening from about 8.30 to 9. But the rest we could spend in our room or in the meditation hall. The gong would be rung, and at 2.30 each day we were called for a group meditation. By this time on day one, it was really starting to sink in that 10 days is a long time. And not only to keep silent, but to keep on this rigorous and demanding meditating schedule, I started to doubt myself. At the beginning of the course, they have a sign and agreement that, among other things, we wouldn't steal, lie, or kill anyone, and we also would stay the entire 10 days. This, we were told, was for our own good, and as we were, in a sense, having surgery on the mind, and we would need the entire ten days to bring closure and healing to the wounds we would be opening. Sounds fun so far, huh? Suffice it to say, day one was tough, and by early evening, I think the initial incision must have been made, because I found a giant lump in my throat that lasted until finally the tears fell, and those lasted well into day two. Day two. On day two, about midday, it occurred to me that I hadn't had any coffee for over two days, and I was actually quite encouraged that I didn't have a headache. We had a great assortment of herbal teas to choose from at breakfast and lunch, and I found some new favorites. Oh, yeah. Breakfast and lunch were the only real meals, but at five every day, we were given fruit and tea just to tide us over until the next morning's breakfast. The reasoning behind this is that meditation should apparently never be done on a full stomach as it can be distracting. So can a growling stomach, I found soon enough. The retreats are designed to eliminate any distractions at all. Volunteers who had previously taken the course and wanted to help others find the peace that they had experienced served us healthy and delicious meals every day. They were all vegetarian, organic, and just wonderful. Somehow this made us all the more grateful for the food, and maybe it even tasted better because of the love that was put into it. Other distractions we were to avoid included all technology, any reading or writing materials, and masturbation. Yep, that too. I was emotional again on day two. I started to become acutely aware of the repetitive thoughts that cluttered my mind. By that afternoon, as I practiced the breathing techniques on my mat in the meditation hall, tears streamed down my face, and I felt this purging of I don't even know what. I started to apply the principle of impermanence and to realize that things rise up in us only to pass away. This helped a little. Every evening we sat in the meditation hall to hear a video discourse by the founder of the course, S.N. Goenka. These lasted about an hour and a half, and we started to really look forward to them each day. He was interesting and funny, and he really knew his practice and its many benefits. After hearing his lecture, I was always inspired to get back on the mat, even after a long day. We were learning that as we began to practice this vipassana, this mind-purifying technique, we were clearing out sankharas, or knots left in the body by past stress or trauma. Sankara is a Pali word. In yoga, we learned of samskaras, the Sanskrit equivalent. 
Through the process and the practice of vipassana, we purify ourselves of these by allowing them to rise up through sensation in the body or through a mental picture, meeting them with equanimity or just observing them until they pass away. Well, that explained my emotional first couple of days, unless it was the lack of coffee or wine. Day three. On day three, we were still working on the focus of the breath. We were to focus the breath on the area below the nostrils and above the upper lip. This was to help us tune in and be hypersensitive to sensation. At first, I couldn't feel my breath at all. But by day three, I could tell if one of my nostrils was slightly clogged, and I could feel fuzzies and nose hairs. Too much information? Sorry. <laughs> we had a teacher, well, an assistant teacher. Goenko was the official teacher, although he passed away a couple of years back. Our teacher's name was Deb. Her job was to guide us through the course by sitting there being a meditating badass. That woman could sit for hours without moving a muscle. We were supposed to keep our eyes closed, but every so often I just peeked at her to see if she had moved. She hadn't. Every couple of days we would meet with Deb so she could check our progress with the course. On this day, she asked me if I could successfully feel sensation of breath on my upper lip. Proudly, I told her, you betcha. And she smiled and said I could either meditate in my room or in the hall for the rest of the session. I made a beeline for my room as the bed was much more comfy than the mat by midday. We were not allowed to exercise, another distraction, but we could walk. Every chance we got, most of us would head outside to walk the small area around the parking lot of the complex. Every so often, someone would discreetly crank out a few push-ups or squats. One woman practiced qigong. I don't think she got in trouble for it. I had packed my yoga mat thinking surely yoga would be acceptable, but nope. Too distracting, I guess. I did lie under a tree on my yoga mat when the weather was nice. I did a few yin poses when no one was looking. Hey, how could they find fault in that? I was under a tree like Buddha, after all. Day four. We all looked forward to day four as this was the day we finally got to start learning and practicing the meat of the technique. The technique entailed moving our attention systematically from head to feet and back again from feet to head. We were to observe any sensations we felt along the way. While observing any sensations, we were to just observe equanimously whether they were pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral sensations. We were to keep the awareness moving around the body, never remaining too long on any one sensation. If we came to a gross sensation, not gross like yucky, gross like painful. We were to remain there for a longer period with the awareness of impermanence. This was quite a mental exercise, and pretty soon the thoughts that had previously occupied my mind on days one and two were nowhere to be found. As I explored the body, I found myself able to discern subtler and even subtler sensations until most of the more painful or gross sensations had passed completely. I did have a left shoulder issue that would pop up from time to time during the 10 days, mostly in the afternoon and evening. One day I looked over at the woman meditating next to me and she had a rolled towel on her left shoulder, so I guess hers must have been bothering her as well. Day 5 Day 5 was a Monday, and the week loomed ahead with the end of the course on Sunday morning. Sunday just seemed like forever away to me. I was impatient with myself for being bored. 
I thought of my great Aunt Sally, who used to gently chide us grandchildren for saying that we were bored when we were kids. There was so much to do, she used to tell us, and she always encouraged us to use our imagination or read a book. Ugh, to have had a book. The food was really good, although less than I normally eat. I realized how I could really exist on much less food. My stomach was starting to adjust at this point, and only every so often did it growl and gurgle during meditations. The bed was comfy, but I didn't sleep much while I was there. I'm not sure if it was my roommate's quiet snoring or the red exit light that lit up the room like a whorehouse, but I only caught a few hours every night. By 9 o'clock, I was ready to hit the hay. Did I mention that the course is free? The course is free. The food is free and the lodging, all free. Everything is paid for by former students who donate to the cause because of all the positive changes that they have experienced through learning the meditation technique. On the final day of the course, you are able to donate, but no one will push you at all. Day six. On or around day six, one of the women disappeared. She was there one minute and then mysteriously she slipped away. We never really were told why she left. I guess that was privileged information. I kind of envied her. I could easily have left any day if it weren't for the few people that knew I was attending this retreat. I knew they were back home rooting for me, and I didn't want to have to tell them that I had bolted early. I did spend a little bit of time fantasizing about how I could make it seem like I had had to leave. Maybe there could have been an emergency back at home, or maybe if I was sick, like a sore throat, perhaps? For lunch on this day, we had vegetarian tacos. They tasted so freaking awesome. I had to thank the cook. Not being able to talk to her, I had to go through the house manager, a Miss Hannigan type, who followed us around and kept us straight and on task. She was the primary gong ringer, too. I motioned to Miss H, and I told her to please pass along to the cook how awesome lunch was that day, and she said that she would. It was amazing how much I missed simple human communication. I soon became aware, however, that we talk a lot, and we say really very little. I resigned to make the words that I spoke have more meaning, more positive effect, and speak only when something really needed to be communicated. We talk so much just because we are uncomfortable with silence. Silence is actually pretty awesome, just not quite so much of it all at once. Day 7 by this day, I was beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. According to Goenka, days two and six can be the toughest days. I was out of the danger zone and starting to feel like I could make it through the whole course. I did get reprimanded for stretching my leg on the wheelchair ramp bars on this day. Miss H said it was distracting. I guess maybe it could have been, but jeepers creepers, I was just stretching. Stretching was important, especially the lower back. All that sitting was hard for all of us, except for our teacher, Deb. If there was an Olympic event for meditation, she would totally be a contender. She would sit on her perch, all regal and graceful. Still. So darn still. It was funny observing this noble silence, as it was called. As we were eating together or walking the grounds, we were not to have any contact, I or otherwise, with the other students. It was hard. I wanted to at least smile at people. It felt rude. 
The idea was that we were all on our own individual journeys, and we needed to focus on ourselves and not anybody else. Kind of defeated the purpose of being there, I guess. It was also kind of fun to imagine what everyone else was like, what their experience was. After all, we had just met one another briefly on that first day when we arrived, and then we had to zip our pie holes. I got to thinking about all the time I spend thinking about others and what a distraction that can be. I'm talking here about the judging of others, the fascination with the lives of others, like celebrities, not the thinking about others in a compassionate, caring way. That's, that's the good one. I decided then to swear off reality programming. We waste so much time thinking about distracting, unenlightening things. If we took that time and spent it thinking about our own consciousness, or better yet, not thinking, meditating, we'd bring much better energy to our everyday lives and to the planet. Days 8 and 9 Days 8 and 9 were all about cleaning out the deeper sankharas, those that had been buried for years and years or even lifetimes. Goenkaji informed us of this during one of his discourses, assuring us that we were ready for the stage. I could actually feel a weight being lifted. We were all visibly thinner by day nine. I wondered how much weight I had actually lost. We also lost another girl. I saw her crying, and then she was just gone. Again, we never found out. Miss H was not going to tell us. She took her job seriously. Anyways... That was just a distraction. I was beginning to abhor, well, okay, observe, that drama crops up in life also as a distraction from the important stuff, stuff like exploring our own spiritual nature and our consciousness. We had learned that sensations in the body arose out of either craving or aversion. Both were to be avoided like the plague. When a sensation arises, we are to meet it with equanimity. It is the responses we have to the ever-changing flow of our lives that can cause detrimental sensations in the body and ultimately stress, depression, and or disease. We need to cut them off at the proverbial pass. We can do this with awareness and equanimity that we develop by practicing this Vipassana meditation. We are all looking forward to day 10 when noble silence is to be broken. Miss H makes it sound like that day is just a giant party, although there is still meditation. On day 10, we learn metta. Metta is taking all the good juju that we've garnered in ourselves and sending it out into the world. It's a loving-kindness meditation, and it's the final cherry on the top of this Vipassana practice. Towards the end of the day, on day 8, I had the experience for which I came, or so I thought. I'd been meditating and had observed that the gross sensations had subsided, and even the subtler sensations in the body, like twitches and itches, had sort of morphed into a slight vibrating experience all over the body. Stop, now I know what you're thinking. There was to be none of that. I had moved to my room for the session, and as I worked through the body, passing awareness throughout, I noticed that the vibration had become a full-out experience of the body sort of floating. No, more like oscillating. It was, it was as though the body became this mass of particles moving faster and faster. It's so hard to put into words, but what an incredible experience. When I got up from that session, I had a previously scheduled meeting with Deb, the teacher, and I told Miss H I just need to cancel, as I couldn't even formulate a question. She laughed and said, 
why don't you just go in first? I was pretty far down on the list of interviews for that day. Okay, I said, but I don't really know what I'm going to talk to her about. She just smiled and told me I was doing great. How can you tell, I asked. <laughs> she smiled and said, I can just tell. What did that mean? Day 10. Finally, the day we had all been waiting for had arrived, but we had to wait until after the nine o'clock meditation to break noble silence. It was kind of weird once we were actually able to talk. We exchanged experiences with one another, and we got to know each other as best we could, although it kind of seemed as if we knew each other pretty well by now. I had grown kind of fond of my two roommates without even really conversing with them. The three of us, we were all very courteous of one another. We kept the neatest room, each of us making our beds before we left for that first meditation session. There was an issue with people slamming doors, apparently, as they left the room, but not my roomies. If one of us was meditating in the room, the others would gently close the door so as not to disturb the other. You can tell a lot about someone by the way they leave a room. Meta meditation was amazing. First, gathering up all of our own good energy and then sending it out to the world is such an inspiring idea. What if we all spent our time doing that instead of thinking negative thoughts about one another? One of the staff commented on the beautiful blue sky that day, saying that every meta day there seems to be this perfect weather. I like that idea. I like a little side of mysticism with my Buddhism. Around five o'clock, I smelled popcorn. And being able to talk to the awesome kitchen staff, I teased them about being able to eat popcorn when we were only able to have fruit and tea. I love popcorn. Ten minutes later, when the evening snack was served, there was a giant bowl of popcorn for us. It tasted amazing. Wait, no craving, just observing, appreciating. Our final discourse with Goenkaji was all about how to re-enter the world and maintain this practice that we had created for ourselves. He suggested an hour in the morning and another hour of meditating at night every single day, as well as one 10-day course like this every year. Wow. We'll see. I'm still processing everything I learned at this course, and I've only been back three days. So, who knows? I did learn a lot. In the beginning of the course, Goenka talked about the three ways that we learn— one is reading books, and another is learning from other people and taking courses. And finally, the best way is through personal experience. This course is set up to give students a personal experience of their own energy and the very powerful collaboration that is the mind and body when maintained with careful vigilance. At the end of every meditation, Goenkaji would chant, Bhavatu Saba Mangalem, which means, May all beings be happy. Now that is a sentiment I can get behind. For more information about Vipassana meditation, go to www.dhamma.org. That's D-H-A-M-M-A dot org. Namaste. Now go meditate. A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. 
The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.